It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Today's show is brought to you by Outdoor Research. If you need a great jacket, fleece, or any other outerwear, you know Outdoor Research has you covered. But building great outdoor gear is not all they're up to right now. They've seen a need in their community, and the folks at OR are not waiting around for somebody else to come to the rescue. So Outdoor Research is converting its onshore manufacturing facility in Seattle to produce personal protective equipment for the medical community in response to the COVID-19 crisis. This will enable Outdoor Research to produce upwards of 200,000 masks per day. For detailed info on OR's bold PPE manufacturing initiative, head to OutdoorResearch.com. And while you're there, check out the UberTube, which can double as an appropriate face mask for civilians. And frankly, if there was ever a time and place for the legendary Outdoor Research Ninja Clava, it's right here, right now. One of the hardest parts of being under quarantine right now is our lack of connection to our friends, our climbing partners, and all the people we like to be around. At the moment, it feels right to make a little extra effort to reach out to your network and just check in. See how everyone is doing. See whether they're losing their minds, or maybe writing the next King Lear, or just absolutely getting totally fucking yoked on the hangboard. It's with the spirit of reaching out that Chris and I have decided to dedicate a few episodes of checking in with some of our friends, see how they're holding up. Just a casual call from your friendly neighborhood climbing podcasters. This is Andrew Bisharat, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Kalous, and you are listening to The Runout Podcast. Today, we're talking to Allison Best. Allison is a three-time Canadian national champion. We reached out to Allison because she is an intelligent and interesting person, and she's totally hilarious. Her slapstick Instagram videos have really been a wonderful dose of humor carrying the climbing world through these dark times. I highly recommend you follow her, at Allison Vest, two L's, to see for yourself. Okay, so with little ado left, all in the form of some jingly podcast music, written by Chris himself, the maestro, here is our conversation with Allison Vest. One angle that I was thinking we could take to get us going is um, traumas in all of our lives that have come up recently. And uh, oh. mine is the saddest and most real. So I'll, I'll lead off um, and just share with our listeners that my sweet dog died last week. Uh, she was eight years old and obviously my best friend. So that was sad. But it was a she had a health issue her whole life. She had a bad heart. So we kind of always knew this day was going to come. Um, which of course didn't make it any, any less sad, but, um, that, uh, you know, we're doing fine and all of that, but, um, Chris, you had a, a, uh, heart stopping moment in your own life that I thought would be fun for you to share with our, our listeners. Yeah. A lot of those, those, uh, those dad lines is that, uh, my child and Andrew can back this up has always been one for, uh, bolting and, uh, going just on his own sort of 
project out into the world. I'm not really caring about what you want or what anybody else wants or any of the kids are doing. And uh, for years, he's four now, I've been waiting for him to escape and he finally did. And uh, we were outside and he's been actually on pretty good behavior lately. And so uh, I was in the garage, he was in the front yard and then I came out and he was gone. And you know, I was kind of like, all right, well, he's probably in the backyard or he's in the neighborhood and we live in a cul-de-sac that's kind of closed in. So I just kind of did a little tertiary look around the yard and in the backyard. And then I started to freak out and uh, went out to where like the busier, slightly busier road is still not super dangerous and didn't see him out there. And then pretty soon I got Steph involved. I got the neighbor next door, the neighbor across the street. Um, those the whole town. Got, yeah, I mean, and then Steph <laughs> called our, our backyard neighbor, this guy, Todd, who lives back there. And pretty soon there was like seven people out looking for him. And uh, Steph finally found him, I don't know, probably a quarter mile away. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. He, he was head for the uh, fire station to see some fire trucks, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, At least he had a goal. Uh, the cops were... <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, exactly. He was fire trucking it up and... Uh, he, uh, you know, the cops were there. So another couple had been walking and seen him. He was actually just sitting there when they found him, I think. And, uh, yeah. And dude didn't care. Like the cops had him and, uh, gave him back to Steph. Um, I don't know how she identified that he was ours other than she was like losing her mind. Uh, yeah. And we brought him home. So, um, that was, uh, yeah, it was kind of heart stopping. I, I was, you know, not super worried. I went out and patrolled the actual like busy road to see if he was out there. And, uh, and the funny thing is, is that every parent that we've told this story to, uh, with, you know, kids that are a little bit older have a story of their child disappearing, um, to back up what happened to us. So, um, even like someone who had a very, very similar story of their kid going to the fire station. So, uh, yeah, so I think it's just par for the course. So be ready, Bisharat. Yeah, I know. We're, uh, we're, we're staking our, our fence down a little harder and, and maybe we have a dog leash now that's free. So maybe I can use that for our, our young girl. And so we are here tonight with Allison Vest, a Canadian bouldering champion. So thanks for talking to us, Allison. Yeah. And, happy to uh, be here. <laughs> and so I wanted to set up the, the trauma I alluded to, uh, in the intro right now, that I happened to catch on Instagram in which you were doing a lovely uh, dance, almost like a waltz. And out of nowhere, a man came into the frame and smashed your face with a giant yoga ball. Um, and so I would love to hear the story behind this traumatic event. Well, so, I mean, it's, that was sort of inspired by the, the app TikTok which I had been had been getting sort of pushed on me for a couple of weeks. People, I would post things on Instagram and people would go, you got to get TikTok. We can't wait to see you on TikTok. You're going to love it. You got to get it. So I downloaded it and I took a scroll through and it was just like girls with tight shirts and leggings that were doing all doing the same dances to pop songs. And I didn't really understand where people thought I fit into that. Um, <laughs> Just because I, I don't necessarily think I come across that way uh, on the internet or in person. So that was sort of my my way of uh, politely and uh, humorously rejecting the TikTok notion that had been aggressively pushed on me for a few weeks now. <laughs> so um, 
maybe just take a step back and what is TikTok for those who are uncool and don't know, which I am not part of that uh, circle. So I definitely know what it is and I'm totally cool. But what maybe you could, for those who don't know what TikTok is, you could explain it. It's not for dads. I know that. (laughs) Well, so here's the thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't fully get it either. Like it's, it's definitely videos. You post video. It's like Instagram or like any social media, but you only post videos. And then it's, I I guess it's easier to edit them. Like you can overlay music on top of the visual really easily and you can add captions and, um, and words to it. But I, I, it's, uh, I tried, I did, I swear to all the listeners who are saying that I didn't try, I did. And I couldn't figure out how the buttons work. So I gave up. (laughs) I saw that video. I mean, I was being facetious about this being a traumatic event. Of course, I knew that was a joke. And I just thought it was one of the funniest things I'd seen. And, um, And it led me down this rabbit hole of your Instagram feed, which is, uh, I've been guilty on this podcast of claiming that there's no humor left in climbing. And um, I was happily happily proven wrong by uh, seeing the videos that you've been creating um, both under this, uh, you know, the coronavirus lockdown as well as before that as well. I think for me, one of the, one of the things that sort of gets hidden on Instagram or Facebook or wherever things are posted about climbing is, is sort of the failure aspect of it, which is the majority of climbing is, you know, falling off things, looking ridiculous and and not succeeding most of the time. And um, I think uh, for me personally, and I think mostly for sort of the audience that I think about is young female athletes, uh, sort of bringing light to the fact that failing is okay and looking dumb is okay. And you don't always have to be doing things perfectly 100% of the time. And sort of being able to find the lighthearted comedic side of uh, looking like an idiot. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think even for me still before I post something, I still get like a half a second where I think, do I look too stupid in this? Like, is this, (laughs) you know, am I going to regret this in however many years? But I think it's sort of important to have a a platform that lets people know that um, not being perfect at everything is, is okay. Have you always enjoyed looking like an idiot? You know, I have. I <laughs> I actually, so I'm right now, I usually live in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, but right now I'm in the Rockies in Canmore, Alberta at my parents' house. And so I've had the the pleasure of revisiting old photo albums and, and videos and stuff just as they've come up because it's been a while since I've been back here. But one of the ones that I found the other day, which I did end up posting on my Instagram story because I thought it was hilarious was me being in this play, which I don't remember, but I was maybe eight in this play. And I was the star of the show as the hands of the grandfather clock. So it's just my face like poking out of a hole and then me like using my arms to be like the clock in the background. It looks completely ridiculous, but I also am just so stoked. Huge smile, like having the time of my life center stage is the grandfather clock. So I guess I have always enjoyed looking ridiculous. <laughs> well, I think one of the, one of the keys to the humor of it actually, and the, and why it works is because, you know, you're, you're also, uh, extraordinarily accomplished as, uh, you know, as a boulderer, um, and also just, uh, competition climbing in general. And so you, part of the reason I think it's like, 
works so well is it's like oh i can be both things it's like and and that's even part of the message is isn't just like hey you know you can look stupid and don't worry about it but also this message of you can be both you don't have to be like ultra drop dead serious about this thing you can accomplish you know great things but also have a sense of humor about it it's interesting you say that because i i think sort of i like to think of myself as a slowly recovering perfectionist um and sort of having that perfectionist mindset through most of my teenage life into my early 20s um is it's really hard like it's a really hard state of mind to be in all the time and growing up i sort of had this idea that i could only be one thing you know and i could be known as that person who's really smart or the athlete who's really athletic or that person that's funny and always making people laugh and so it's sort of been this opportunity for me to learn that I can be more than one thing, um, which has been really liberating for me, both as an athlete and as a, you know, as a creative person and just as a, you know, general global citizen to uh, sort of acknowledge that I can be more than one thing. Hopefully, I feel like when I post things on Instagram, that gives people the idea that they can be more than one thing, too. Well, your feed is so relevant right now because the 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 state that we're in in which people are either not climbing or are afraid to share, you know, stories about themselves climbing for fear of, you know, retribution from, from being scolded by people is that a lot of people who have large followings and are professional or public people in the, in our sport are, um, and they seem to be in this existential crisis of not knowing what to do with themselves and not knowing how to share who they are, what they are, if, if they can't share the climbing part. And so there's, it certainly seems as there, as though there's a lot of people are trying to suddenly become educators or training, you know, instructors and sharing their workouts, or they're trying to do something else, but it all, it, it, a lot of it just feels a little too serious. And a, a lot of it falls flat on its face, to be honest. Um, which is one of the things that I found so refreshing about all of the content that you've been creating, which is designed to, you know, not take yourself so seriously. And as Chris accurately pointed out, it, it's, it's like this, uh, has this double impact given your credentials as a climber and making them feel entertained and included. Yeah, I think it's really hard. I think one thing that I find, because I, I am, I am on the internet a lot more these days than I am normally, but I find you know, this time where we're all locked down and isolated more than we like and not able to get out into the mountains like we usually do uh, can be really hard on on mental health. And I think one thing that can almost make it worse is seeing all this imagery and videos of people doing this for training or that for training or building their own board or whatever they're doing and feeling like they're not doing enough in quarantine or not being productive in quarantine or not taking advantage of this time or whatever that looks like. Um, I think there is a lot of media and information out there that could be interpreted in a way that would make people feel like they're not doing enough in quarantine. When I feel like right now, just sort of preserving mental health insanity is like the number one. So um, I feel like that's sort of my angle when looking at social media as a climber and as somebody who's sponsored. And um, I know there's a lot of different approaches, but for me, you know, if people want training videos and want to know what to do in quarantine for training, like that's out there. I don't need to, I don't need to add to that because there's already so much of it. For me, the part that I like to focus on is, is the sanity half of it. 
Are there any parallels, I guess, between being in quarantine and being in isolation in a competition? Yeah, you know, it's a there. I think that I think there are. I I do. I honestly do. I um, like I said, I'm in Canmore, Alberta, right now with my family, who I haven't had the pleasure of spending an extended period of time with in an embarrassingly long time. So the gentleman that you spoke about earlier, who hit me in the face with the exercise ball, is my uh, little brother. He's 18, still in high school. <laughs> I bet he um, enjoyed that so much. I, I I can promise you he did. But <laughs> the last time I lived here, he was 10 or so. So oh, wow. he's like a real person now. And I'm having a great time almost getting to know him as like a real human being with opinions and a personality and all of these things that I had been missing out on that I didn't know. And so it's been great to be able to hang out with him. And, you know, we have been laughing every day or doing something exciting or whatever that is it's been great to reconnect with him and uh, let's be honest he hit you with that ball a little too hard he does but i told him to so it's okay (laughs) (laughs) but in isolation at a comp it's a similar thing like it's it's high stakes it's high pressure everybody's anxious everybody's um building the competition up in their head and they're nervous and they're doing what they can to be ready for that comp but at the same time competitions are also the times in our lives where we get to see our friends that we don't see that often who are either live somewhere abroad and it's a world cup and we never see each other unless we're at a comp. But in this, in a similar way, it is, it's your opportunity to connect with people that you don't normally get to. So for me, at least that has been a bit of an interesting parallel, I guess. Probably more hand-washing in quarantine than in isolation. Uh, Exponentially, I would say, yes. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about your uh, just general isolation uh, going on. And you're up in Canmore, uh, which uh, in Alberta, Canada. So just a little bit of the nuts and bolts. What's the the vibe up there as far as people staying in? What have been the orders? You know, the, the, the U.S. is like a dumpster fire as far as this is concerned. So and it seems like Canada is doing way better at it. Is that is my impression uh pretty clear that you guys are uh, on board with this and uh, getting sort of good information from from the government? I, uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's hard for us to be doing better than the US, like you said. But similar to the US, it sort of depends on the region. So um, right. the West Coast BC is is doing really well at the moment. But I think sort of the East Coast is still ramping up pretty dramatically. So I think it, it varies from region to region. I mean, Canmore is doing all right now. It's relatively small. But it's noticeable. I mean, people are, you go to downtown Canmore, which is, you know, Canmore's in general is super touristy. And there's usually people all over the streets and main street downtown Canmore is like a, it's like a ghost town down there. There's not really anything going on. Nobody's down there. Nobody's walking around. So um, at least in Canmore, people are doing a, a, a good job of uh, that social distancing and staying home. And um, all the parks are closed, all the playgrounds, everything's shut down. There's big caution tape everywhere. So it's a, uh, Properly apocalyptic, for sure. <laughs> that's the that's an, an episode for a TV show right there is properly, properly apocalyptic. Apop- apop- I can't even say it. Can Copyright. A, I'm copywriting it right now. Could be a Canadian <laughs> spinoff of The Walking Dead. <laughs> all right, I'll get on that. <laughs> We're all the all the zombies like bump into each other and say sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Sorry. Eh? <laughs> So what is your, uh, I mean, you've been talking about get, hanging out with your brother. You're obviously doing 
your videos, which seem to probably take a little bit of time of the day. You're you're hopefully training, seeing as how you're an athlete. Um, what else you got going on? Like, what's your what have been some of your worst food choices? Do you think in quarantine? Okay, so again, this is going to sound really lucky on my part, and it is. But my dad channels his anxiety into cooking, oh. and he is a brilliant chef, like just unbelievable. And I grew up this way too. So I'm really lucky in that sense. But for example, tonight, we all had a family dinner, all sat down together. He made venison stew that he, Mm. he's also a bow hunter. So he shot a deer in the fall because my family's trying to move towards only eating more like free range meat. So not really buying it from the store and um, only eating meat if it's local. And um, so trying to do it from an environmental standpoint, but he, it took him like, you know, three hours or so tonight to make this beautiful stew and with collard greens and delicious, uh, you know, rice side. Anyway, so I've been eating really well. And I can honestly say there hasn't been that many bad food choices because of that. So I'm really lucky in that sense. (laughs) And what are your viewing trends? Uh, Most people are talking a ton about Netflix, uh, things like that. Has that been part of your a part of your isolation is uh, binging on on television? I used to draw a lot when I was younger. So I've been trying to do more drawing, but I like to have like background noise. So I've been rewatching old TV shows that I've already seen all of just so I'm not really paying attention to them, but they're sort of background noise. So the office has just been rolling in the background for me lately. Yeah. Lots of uh, Spotify playlist making too. I've been spending time making playlists on Spotify for training. I just built a, I just built a wall actually in our backyard. That's getting snowed on. That right now? Well, it's getting dumped on right now. I walked out there this morning and there was icicles hanging off of the holes. <laughs> That's so appropriate, though. Try I was like, all right, training. well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But here's the thing is that uh, my family is not all that construction savvy. We have some tools, but they're incredibly old and kind of falling apart. And so my dad was going to let me build a wall just for a few months in our backyard. But I had to do it all myself. And I've really never done any sort of construction, anything in my life. Like, I, you know, I've root set, but the wall is already up. So I, uh, I didn't I hope this totally doesn't know what result to do. In a, I hope this doesn't result in an Instagram video where you pull onto your wall for the first time and it crushes you. It shouldn't result in that, but I make no promises as of now. <laughs> But I had to like go to the hardware store and talk to the guy and, you know, he was like, what, what can I get for you? And I had to say, I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't, I'm going to need a consult first. So anyway, I somehow whipped this wall together and it ended up being exactly 45 degrees just as I had planned, um, which was good. So the actual wall building went way better than I had thought. And I, my whole design plan worked out, but then we realized we only had footholds mostly (laughs) and the wall was 45 degrees um so we just started trying to make holds out of two by fours but all we have is like a handsaw and a drill and some sandpaper so i was like hand sanding just like chunks of two by fours um i tried to make a jug and sanded it for like an hour and a half (laughs) and it ended up okay but it's been tedious for sure Um, so I've been trying to take advantage of climbing on that as much as possible, just because it was such an ordeal to actually make all the holds (laughs) by myself. 
I love how all of us are just reverting to this like pre-industrial era lifestyle of <laughs> going out into the woods and finding our venison meat to make <laughs> stew and sanding down climbing holds like we're Neanderthals living in a cave. Uh, I mean, if it does come to that and we have to live that way, this household is going to be ready. Let me nice. tell you. <laughs> And we are resourceful we'll go there and properly ap- apocalyptic <laughs> when that breaks out we'll we'll head yeah, up to everybody's invited come on up let's talk about the olympics real quick because you yeah uh cl- care about that i assume i do i do care partner. so what's yeah. what's your what's your take on the olympics you know i i am glad it's still happening because i i do honestly think that a cancellation and not a postponement was definitely on the table and I'm definitely excited to see it all go down in 2021. You know, a lot of my friends have qualified now. And I think for the most part, the people I've talked to, which is mostly uh, Kyra Condi, who's one of the U.S. Olympians, people are trying to look at it in a positive way and take it as sort of they get another year to to train for it now. Because I, I think it's easy for those kinds of athletes to look at it in a negative sense and, you know, that they're their Olympic dreams are on hold now for another year and nobody really knows what's going to happen in a year. And that's a long time and whatever the concern may be. But I I think for the most part, people are, people are trying to put a positive spin on it and acknowledge the fact that it's still happening and they're still going to get to go. And if an athlete has already qualified that they will stay qualified because uh, for a little while that was not confirmed, which I think would have been pretty horrible if they no, the, the, uh, had made everybody whole, requalify <laughs> yeah in the, the public like we couldn't fucking handle it again like it no, was so no. confusing and nobody knew see i mean if you were a bystander like just casually watching you had no idea who was qualifying or what so yeah no one can handle that again i don't think no and it's so hard like even i you know i fundamentally understand how the scoring works you don't know what's happening until it's done because everybody's scores are compared like your it's about your ranking in comparison to other people right so it's always changing the entire time and i mean if you could be on the floor at an event like at the world championships or in toulouse or whatever the qualification event is every single time i've been at an event we say there's no point in looking at results or trying to do the calculations until it's over because right. it's always changing. But every single time where all of us have our phones out and are ref- like obsessively refreshing the page and trying to find out, you know, what if this person gets to this hold, then what will that do? And doing all the calculations. And it is a gong show, even for people who totally understand the sport. I think that discipline, you know, if you really understand it, you can sort of follow along. And I think if you are a complete bystander and don't understand comp climbing at all, It'll be great because they're not even going to try to sort things out before it's all done. But I think if you're sort of just trying to dabble in the Olympic format and sort of get a sense of it, uh, it'll be really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think this delay is going to recalibrate the calculations on who's the favorite to win? I don't think so. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I can speak more to the girls, I think, than the, the guys. But I think the people that have been for the women, at least who have been sort of at the top of the field have been at the top of the field for a long time. You know, I think, for example, Akio Noguchi has been doing really well in the combined format and she's qualified. And I mean, she's been winning world cups since she was 16 and she's 30 now. So especially for the women, I think the girls that are good are, are, are really good. I think if you were to do the the qualifications over again, you'd almost certainly end up with, you know, 
80 to 90% of the same people in the field. It's, it certainly seems that way. Yeah, I agree. I think people are also just excited to see what happens at the European championships and the Asian championships and whenever those happen, because there are those last few spots left. And I think a lot of, I think both of those are relatively up in the air, um, especially the European championships. So uh, that'll be exciting. I had one question the other day, just from an interview that was emailed to me about root setting after quarantine and how that'll change, which I thought was an interesting thing to think about just in terms of like, I think he was more asking like if coordination moves were going to go be less common because people won't have been able to practice them as much in a lockdown, which was sort of an interesting way to think about a post quarantine competition world. Um, But I actually think they're going to need to rely on them more because everybody's just going to have been hangboarding nonstop for however many months and people's fingers are going to be too strong. So they're not going to be able to separate people by a small hold. They're going to have to have them jumping all over the place because people are just going to have mutantly strong hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Um, what, if anything, do you like about not comp climbing right now? I've always struggled in comp climbing to do something that I think the best comp climbers do really well, which is try to be competing just you against the wall. So not be thinking about what the other people have done or the results and just be sort of trying to connect with that state of mind where you're just focusing on getting from the start to the finish and that's it. And that's something I've really struggled with. I have a much easier time doing that outside when it's just, it's literally just you and whatever boulder you're working on. And yeah, I've been really enjoying when I'm going outside, sort of reconnecting with that, that side of climbing, it just being you and the boulder and it not really mattering what anybody else is doing. Kind of more of a global question for you, as far as just this pandemic and, and kind of the the unknowns of the future, not just climbing, but, but in general, do you, do you find that you, you tend to, uh, to skew on the more positive or, or the darker side? That's also an interesting question. I, I find it's both for me and I, it's sort of a roll, it's sort of a roller coaster. And when it's looking at the positive stuff, it's really, really positive. And then when it's not, it's really, really negative. Like I, I struggle to sort of find a middle ground, you know, like I'm either making, completely ridiculous Instagram videos with my little brother, or I'm obsessively Googling coronavirus trends across the world for three hours at 11 o'clock at night. Like it's not, it's like very opposite moods, which is hard at times. But um, yeah, I think I've, I've, you know, I've been trying to be focusing on the, the gratitude part of things and be grateful that I am in a, you know, that I'm able to be at my parents' house right now and be connecting with my family and grateful to have friends all over the world that are willing to text me and FaceTime me and stay connected and, you know, grateful to live in a country that has good health care. So I think, I think the gratitude side of things is sort of, is where I've been trying to focus my attention, I guess, in quarantine. Awesome. Well, thanks, Allison, for, for doing this. We, uh, we kind of have this in mind as a series of check-ins with, uh, with professional climbers and people who we, uh, we admire, and uh, you were on the Enormacast last year. Uh, we posted one from you last year, which was uh, really well received, and, and I had a great time talking to you then. And uh, the story you told of your Europe or your Asian sport climbing trip still tops the heap in terms of funny stories on the Enormacast. I think so. Thanks for coming on and, and sharing your thoughts on this whole thing, and and uh, trying to keep it positive out there. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, and uh, keep that kid away from fire trucks. 
If you have a comment, topic suggestion, or just a good bit of climbing trivia, join us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash runoutpodcast, or drop us a line at our webpage, runoutpodcast.com.